Hey, Julie. Hi, Ryan. We're back. We're back for the Environmental Heroes podcast. Woohoo. And today's guest is Chris Dennis. He's the owner of Two Before Ten Cafes. Cafes, that is right. Yeah. We will hear that he has so many cafes that he's actually lost count yes. of how many cafes <laughs> he has. <laughs> but the reason we've got him is because he's really focused on sustainability, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. In fact, a couple of times in the interview, you'll hear him and I um, reference the SDGs. SDGs. Yes. So, we thought we might quickly explain what they are. So, the SDGs are the acronym for the Sustainable Development Goals. Ah. There's 17 goals. They cover everything from your environment, so life under life on land, life underwater, um, forest coverage, clean water. Um, they cover social, so no poverty, equality, gender rights. Um, they cover economic, so and they look at infrastructure, industry, jobs and growth. Those kind of things mm. are all covered. So basically, it's seen as a blueprint for the world. It was agreed by all countries at the UN in 2015 mm-hmm. and the idea is that with these goals the goals all have targets and indicators aligned to them that by 2030 we should be all on a mission for achieving these goals and by 2030 You're right. we will have achieved them and the world will be much better so we have a plan we have a plan we have a blueprint we yeah, have this right. plan for making the world a better place yeah through the united nations yeah yeah, yeah. yeah that's right and so it was fascinating to Um, when we talked to Chris about it, how Chris has said that the SDGs for um, his business are that like they've decided, they decided fairly early on, this is our framework and our guiding ethos for running our business. That's pretty radical because normally the ethos is make money. Yeah. Yeah. um, Well, he's got some good things to say about that, doesn't he? He certainly has gone beyond that. What I really loved about him was that he wanted to share his knowledge with people who would others would be seen as his competition and he just believes in spreading that good information and that love around and he's yeah he's focused on sustainability and on being generous and he's doing very well in business yeah which goes to show that you don't have it's not a um a binary decision right it's not an either or it's not well we've got to make money or we've got to be good for the environment and social actually you can do both yeah yeah, yeah, he's saying that he does both and that it costs him more, obviously, to be sustainable, but it's still worth it. Like people are flocking to his cafes, right? Everyone loves two before ten. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Well, let's let's hear more about how he's gone on this journey because it's pretty fascinating. It is. All right, let's bring in Chris Dennis. Local environment heroes Saving the trees and the bees And doing it daily Let's go. So, Chris, we've got Chris Dennis here from Two Before Ten. He's got a very big smile on his face. He's super excited to be here, aren't you, Chris? Very excited. Yeah, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Um, We thought we'd start with a bit of background. As we just said before we turned the mics on, you are super busy. Like, you own six, around six cafes, is it, in Uh, Canberra? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly. Lost count. (laughs) Lost count. (laughs) I should know this. Like, I literally do a report for every cafe every week. But wow. I don't count how many. Uh, yeah, and then we – so we manage a few for um, people as well. So we've kind of got a bit of a history of people that work for us. We end up setting them up with their own shops and then help them manage it. So keeps us busy, which is good. That's amazing. But you started – so is it just over 10 years ago you started with a rundown shop in Aranda? No. It, even before then, 2008, we started back in the day. So it's 
It's actually a cool Canberra Hospital story. So the Tell guy us about it. That's just a long story. Um, the guy that owns Three Mills Bakery, Jared Deaton. So Jared and I, we actually met at the Lighthouse in Belconnen back in about 2001. So my mate had set it up, like bought it when it was run down, set it up, needed people to manage it. So I was helping manage it. And then Jared was doing landscape architecture at UC. So he just got a bar job there. So we met each other and as boys do, let's open a bar together. (laughs) (laughs) Every every person's dream. Yeah, yeah, which dragged on for, I don't know, seven years. We never did it. But then Jared... um, came up with the idea of doing a cafe which is we originally did enter cafe which was the old la scala shoe store um, which is now in monica so i started that from scratch and ran that for a few years and then it became two before 10 when we started roasting on our own so which is kind of cool because it was ourselves lonsdale uh red brick and honor sort of all started about the same time so sasha started a bit earlier but then everyone's kind of gone their own way and Honor got very, very big um, very quickly, which is cool. And now in that store, um, so 8020 that was in Barton, in um, Braddon, sorry, they opened the goods uh, in the city. That's the old 2 before 10 site. So chatting to Clarissa, who I'd never met before this week, um, she was saying when they were doing their renos, they pulled stuff out and saw the old Tubi logo there. So it's pretty cool. Camera, hospital. <laughs> everyone knows everyone. I know, but it sounds like you're all friends. <laughs> yeah, mostly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Particularly once you've been around for a while, you get to know everyone and we all trade staff basically. So mm. as is the way in Canberra. It's yeah. Good. So, yeah. Well, the reason we've got you on the Environmental Heroes podcast is because you've taken a bit of a different approach to your cafe. Um, Julie's lifted something off your website that says... Our approach is sustainable in the broadest possible definition of the word. It's not just about saving the planet. It's about caring for its people, our suppliers, our customers and our staff. What does sustainability mean to you and how did this tie up into the the cafe? Um, Sustainability, the literal definition of it, basically something that will persist. So um, I think it's in particularly in our industry, it's such a cliche at the moment that everyone's sustainable and they're using PLA cups and whatever, blah, blah, blah. But for me, it really is about something that will last and continue for decades. So whether it be the way, you know, the way we farm Australia, which has hyper-fragile soils or the way we treat our people, HOSPO has a massive reputation for burning people out. So it's everything for me. And it came from when I was a wee young thing. Uh, I worked at the National Aquarium um, and I had over the course of about two years, like five different managers. And the difference in my quality of, like the quality of my whole life um, was so dependent on who the manager was and how good they were. Like if I hated my job, even if I was only there for three hours a day, it would just wreck the rest of your day. So I'd always had an idea that I wanted to be a manager or a CEO or whatever and be able to make everyone's day when they turn up to work. So that's kind of our business ethos all along. Um, And then the environmental side of it sort of came from when I lived in the US and I was a rabid capitalist until I lived in the US and saw what capitalism actually does. Um, And I've slowly been going further and further left as I get older. Um, And the sustainability just kind of came into that as well. So my business partner, Phil, um, he's the one that's got it, got us focused on the SDGs as a like a framework for trying to do or for shaping what we're trying to do. So, yeah, mm. it's 
So talk to us about living in the US. What did you find there? Like what, what um, really switched you? Yeah, just that real, I guess it's the cliche of capitalism of what you hear about the sweatshops and what McDonald's is like and Nike is like, et cetera, et cetera. I never really believed it and that real predatory capitalism of destroying all your competitors um, and just trying to amass a huge amount of money. Um, I kind of thought, not, maybe I was just naive, I never believed it because I hadn't seen that in Australia. Australian business to me seems a lot different. It's, I don't know, it's people are achieving something on their own without trying to shut down everyone around them. So. Yeah, it just made me realise that, oh, there actually are people like that. So <laughs> I best try and go the other way, balance yeah. it out. Yeah, right. It's interesting bringing together, it's happening a lot more that businesses have to embrace sustainability and the ones that don't will be left behind. Yeah, 100%. And there's also, I mean, and it's kind of, again, it's kind of a cliche of big business where they're talking about social capital and their triple bottom line or whatever. But... <laughs> It really is, and as you, there's an extent to which to amass a lot of money, like be a big company or whatever, you need to be fairly competitive. But there's still people, and there are enough of those CEOs and MDs or whatever that are people with families or whatever. They care about the things that normal people care about. But I almost feel like, and this is my little controversial point, <laughs> um, because governments are doing less and less, and particularly in this country, apart from the ACT government, just inept in this field, business has to do it and the punters have to do it. So like the younger generation are so focused on it and, you know, I'm Gen X. It was all about, you know, building wealth and safety and security for yourself, whereas the current generation obviously doesn't cast it aside, but they're more focused on the greater good, it seems, mm. particularly like guys that work for us, guys and girls that work for us. Yeah, they I was going to say, do you see this in your staff? It's so different. Um, I'm such an old man. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's just a completely different view of the world. They care about the world. Yeah. And I remember, see, and I was actually on a panel with Sasha and Jared and then Rob DeCostello who owns Deke's yeah. Whole Foods. And they asked us, you know, what the food industry will look like in 30 years' time. And I was like, oh, pretty much the same. Because I remember my brother in the 80s, he was huge on recycling and he made us put things into the right bins and all this sort of stuff and yada, yada, yada. That's like almost 40 years ago that mm -hmm. we were talking about it and there were the hole in the ozone layer and they were talking about greenhouse gases back then. And here we are 40 years down the track and still bumping along sort of thing. So, yeah, I don't know. You mentioned before that the SDGs um, feel your partners, um, your business partner has said, hey, the SDGs are our guiding framework. Yep. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, it was. it's more around we were going to be doing things anyway. So... Um, I should, I should actually interject. I've got a pretty funny, I am going to interject, okay. um, I've got a pretty funny story <laughs> about this. Um, I used to work for government as well. And yep. a few years ago, I was sitting around a very big interdepartmental 
committee meeting with lots of very important people sitting around a big wooden table um, discussing the SDGs um, and someone got very excited and said, there's this cafe in Aranda that has the SDGs on the, on the wall. So we've totally all done our job. Uh, <laughs> wow. Yes, you have. But it made a lot of people around that table go, oh, that's really good. We should all go to that cafe. Yeah, you should. <laughs> good job. Mm. It worked. Um, yeah, it's more... Uh, because uh, we're going to be doing this stuff and because of my blessed bureaucratic background, um, I sort of didn't want to just... I really struggled with just going off and doing random things. Um, I wanted it to be, you know, doing things in the right direction, not wasting energy in a sense, being efficient. So, and then Phil mentioned the SDGs. So we figured that if 186 nations or whatever had got around and decided they were the things we should be doing, then that's probably what we do so and it turn, it ends up that in reality they're so broad yeah that as long as you're doing sensible things you can slot them in um but yeah now we're actually sort of moving a little bit away from that sdg well not moving away from it but we realize that they will be a temporary framework because then they'll develop like the un will come up with their next tranche of whatever <coughs> that may be or we will have achieved them by 2030. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Still time. Yeah. Oh, well, two before tents doing it. Yeah. yeah. Tick. <laughs> Good job. So what does that look like with business as a leader instead of government? So you've touched on the social and how you treat your staff. What about the other parts of the business? Um, how does the sustainability goals translate into how you operate? Um, it is sort of the tenant or the foundation of everything, all our decision-making, basically. So we, yeah, I'm, I have a problem. I Everything I say will turn into a really long story because it's been such a, that's what we're a, here a long, exactly. um, we love stories. A long yeah. journey to get here. But I... But that's the whole point too, right? It's a journey. Yeah, but the problem is then I'll forget the original question <laughs> and then I'll just be, and I'll just finish and be staring at the wall and be like, yeah, that was good. I don't know what I was meant to answer. <laughs> Standard for me. Um, the they're the central tenant basically. So we've kind of um, made a commitment to doing the right thing, mm -hmm. which um, our motto is now because it matters, which took ages to get to. Yeah, everyone's got these catchy phrases about their vision and what is it, the golden circle of their why and all that, blah, blah, blah. That stuff is hard to work out. Mm. You intrinsically know what you're doing and why you're doing it, but to put it in a framework. So we came up with, we sat, we literally sat around a fire at my house in Yas, not very environmentally <laughs> sustainable, <laughs> burning wood. But um, yeah, and because it matters. So because everything we do matters, so everything we do should be done right. Um, so every decision we make, and obviously the single-use plastics issue is, you know, contemporary. Um, but we did that ages ago. Um, like the coffee cups, we kind of tried to work out a solution for coffee for single-use coffee cups. So came up with PLA-based cups, which are, you know, technically compostable, but only if you've got a commercial composter. So we bought a commercial composter um which then works wonders because everything goes in not that it's switched on yet but um everything goes into it and then that'll end up going into the gardens so and then you know staff uniforms which i've got on at the moment um they the organic cotton like um jenna who used to manage the roastery 
and now does a lot of our media. She just found an ethical company. So everything we do, basically. Um, and I think that's my kind of key message for everyone in this kind of genre, if that's what it is, um, is just that, like everything you do, there's always an option that is an ethical option or it doesn't, and it doesn't need to be a hundred percent the best option. Like, yeah, I'm wearing an organic cotton t-shirt, but cotton still uses a bucket load of water. Um, so it's not the perfect option. Um, but it's, you know, better than not organic cotton. So, um, so yeah, the, in that sense, that sustainability thing just drives all the decisions. The business still runs and still aims to make money. Um, but it's just when you get to that decision point every time, take the ethical path pretty much. Mm. And that, and this is good because I've answered the question. Now I can tell you why we're like yeah. this. <laughs> I will learn. Um, uh, one of my, uh, is actually one of my bosses in the public service um, who was well left. He worked under the Keating government as an advisor. Um, I was banging on about, I it was either Branson or, it's one of those billionaires, maybe, I can't remember, someone that gave like $80 billion to a trust or whatever to, you know, look after the planet. And I was going on about how amazing it was. And my mate turned around to me and said, yeah, but for him to be able to have $80 billion to put into a foundation, how many, in that kind of Marxist sense, how many people lost out along the way in each transaction for him to have that much cash? which has fundamentally changed my view of sort of running a business and what the point is because now um, all of our decisions cost us money. So to use PLA-based cups costs us twice as much as normal cups. Like everything that we do in that sustainable sense costs more money. But as long as, you know, I've got a job, it's not about making a bazillion dollars so that then I can give half of it to a foundation in 30 years' time. Like far better off now to make those decisions and spend that money doing the right thing now because by 2030 it might be too late. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. You answered a question that I wanted to, I wanted to ask next, which is about that, the trade-offs and how you prioritise and how you know, running a business and I guess those really big businesses where the fundamental priority is to respond to the shareholders and the shareholders are demanding that well, you know, this whole idea of profit margin and growing, growing, like you've just got to keep growing the yeah. economy and growing and growing and growing. Like you're kind of saying, well, you've made a decision that you put a number or you put a cap on this is how much we need to grow by and you know what? Like that's enough. That's all we need. Yeah, pretty much. And therefore um, you can then go, well, we can pay double for those cups or we will invest more in doing this because that's our number one priority yeah yeah and it's um it's not sort of simple or black and white um i mean it starts with the the realization which i think is becoming more and more popular now that growth isn't the solution um and particularly i find when you look to sort of europe um scandinavia such more sensible ways of running businesses and measuring the success of businesses and lives. Um, but then also, I mean, and the, the margin varies. <laughs> some days I'm like, no, nah, let's make some money. <laughs> and then other days I'm like, no, no, this is fine. It t t sort of correlates to my level of nervousness about where the business is at. Um, 
but yeah, it, it, and you can write some of it off in a sense as under marketing, um, like particularly the coffee industry, it, the sustainability thing is such a cliche and people literally get on board that wagon as a point of difference as, you know, part of their marketing. So you can sort of do a bit of that. But it, it is a, it's a cost and you kind of wear it in a sense. But, yeah, why are you in business? If it's just to make a squillion dollars, then yeah, that's mm. how McDonald's happens pretty Could, much. Can we ask about the coffee? Like where's your coffee source from? Uh, everywhere. So we use importers so we don't do any sort of direct we don't have direct relationships with any of the farmers um, which some people do like Sasha with Project Origin I mean the guy owns some of his own farms so it's pretty direct Um, but we work with our suppliers um, who are generally Sydney based to make sure that we're only getting ethically um, produced coffee and that can be again it's not there is no perfect definition of ethical um a lot of ours will just be projects around the particular farm has a project around water usage or um getting women involved in the industry those sorts of things and then we're everywhere png guatemala ethiopia so yeah all over the shop and it changes a fair bit um so as with all you know red brick um honor etc there's always a portion of it that's completely varied and random and experimental so which is kind of fun so (laughs) unfortunately 90 percent of it is just house blend (laughs) but that's every job really isn't it yeah (laughs) the grind (laughs) but you've also got your own little farm right Uh, it's the urban farm yeah yeah it's pretty exciting it is quite cool um farm is a very loose term (laughs) (laughs) um but it's getting bigger and it was uh, like I've always wanted to grow for the cafe. So when we, when I first got back from the US um, in 2012 and I was living out at Yass and so we set up some igloos and grew a bunch of stuff for the cafe then, which was simple because it was one cafe. But now that it's bigger, it's a bit harder. Um, but we're on an acre of land at Aranda. So um, there's probably only, I guess, half of that which is still dirt, the rest is car park and building. Mm-hmm. But we're slowly moving to turning that whole extra half acre into farms, into veggie gardens basically. So at the moment it's about 400 square metres mm. um, and then a whole bunch of fruit trees. And we've got beehives there, which um, so at one end of the block there was a little bit of native scrub. So we've got half a dozen beehives in there and then planting a whole bunch of um, natives flowering plants in there so but it turns out that eucalypts need extreme heat to flower so this summer the eucalypts in the Aranda bushland didn't flower so the bees didn't make enough honey ah. so yeah so because you ne- then you need to obviously they need the honey to yep. survive so yep. we left it all in there and hope for better next summer <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so each cafe right serves a dish that's made entirely from the garden yeah, it um, well, it varies um, from season to season, um, and there was increasingly now. There'll generally just be the one dish, which will be in and around a garden bowl, which is everything. Um, but now we've created a like a retail brand called Urban Farm, yep. the Urban Farm Goods, um, 
because the we're just getting too busy and even around it just on its own now it's become a beast so it's too hard it's not too hard but um it puts a fair amount of stress on the chefs for having to utilize what comes in and out of the garden because it varies so much so we're now um effectively growing gluts of stuff and then preserving it so pickling it making kimchi jams etc etc so and then using those products in the cafes so slightly different approach that just makes it a bit simpler mm-hmm. and then the idea is to then retail that stuff through the igas and whatnot so i um i had some kimchi this morning but oh, actually really? at lunch from as i was driving here i was telling ryan before i was i went to around yesterday just yeah. to, you know suss it out <laughs> just do some more research <laughs> hadn't been there for a while <laughs> should go <laughs> just double check and bought the kimchi and had it today it was Really it's good. pretty good, hey? It's really good. And I lived in Korea for four years, oh, so really? I, I know my kimchi. Oh, yes. <laughs> kimchi <laughs> so expert. So I was impressed. <laughs> it, um, it's, uh, kimchi's one of those products that is, I don't know, the archetype for what we're trying to do. Because it's literally scraps. Yeah, it's yeah. It's like all the offcuts that you don't really use for anything and then you chop it up and turn it into absolute deliciousness, which then you stick in a jar or whatever and last for months and months. Yeah. That's food. I love that part of food. Like all the old kind of peasant and provincial cooking where it was, you know, you tomatoes only grow at a certain time of year. So when they're done, you either do buddy um green tomato chutneys or make passata or whatever and then you do have it for three or four months i as again as much as our industry bangs on about seasonal menus and yada 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 you can still get smashed avo 12 months of the year yeah i wish we couldn't i wish it was just properly seasonal and properly local um i don't i mean we're going to try and get there so now when we're doing our menus if we can't get the product from our region, we're basically not putting it on the menu. So there unfortunately will be times when there's no smashed avo mm. at two before ten stores, wow. um, which again is probably might cost us because punters love that stuff. But we've got to make a call sort of thing. So you source locally, you source from the region, everything is sourced? Yeah, increasingly. So we went... When is, we that, is that a challenge though in Canberra? Yeah. That all of our food really like yeah. comes into Canberra. Yeah, 100%. And particularly to do those standards like ham, cheese, tomato, toasty. Mm. Everyone wants them all the time. Um, but you can, and again, this is a weird thing, but you can set up igloos to be able to grow that stuff or set up hot houses. Um, but yeah, we're very much moving back towards that approach. So... We, when we were small, that's what we were like. And then as we got bigger, and when we did the around, when we started the Aranda project, we were basically bankrupt. We had, we were done because of um, doing A Baker down at New Acton. Um, so we just did whatever we could to kind of stay afloat and get back to where we wanted to be. But now that we're kind of in the clear on the other side, we're definitely returning to that notion. So we're, in addition to the gardens, we're talking to two sort of small plot farmers out near Wallaroo, um, near Hall, um, and I think one at Yass, to get them growing for our menus. So we're sending them our menu, and then sort of six months out, and then they get planting. So mm. ideally, yeah, get everything grown in the region. So, But we'll see how it goes. Mm. It, 
Oops. Don't know if it's doable, but <laughs> got to have a crack. Yeah. Uh, it's worth the effort anyway. Um, yeah. 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 And it's, um, and again, coming back to business and the punters driving this issue, um, there was one point where our business goal was to prove that you could be sustainable and profitable. So be a model for other businesses. And because we've been around for a while, you know, people follow us and keep an eye on us. So if we're doing things and proving that it's successful, other cafes will pick it up. Mm. So if we can make it work, then it kind of makes it a pathway that people can take. Whereas until someone's proven that you can do it, um, you know, no one bothers to try sort of thing. So well, it's obviously working, right? You've lost count of how many cafes yeah. you have. <laughs> <laughs> That's more my mental state than <laughs> the success per se. Um, you mentioned, and it deserves coming back to, you mentioned your commercial composter before. Um, is that out at Aranda? And secondly, it's quite radical for a business to decide to take responsibility for its own waste stream. Even, even organic waste is a huge thing. Um, how's that looking? Um, yeah, it's looking not plugged in at the yeah. moment. <laughs> but it, um, we, it's actually a longish story again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my life. Um, when we were doing A Baker um, down at New Acton, that was a, so Jared and myself did it as a joint venture with the Malonglo group. Um, and Nectar Efkapetis, who kind of really drove all the design side of that, he um, showed us Silo by Yoost, which was a um, cafe in Melbourne. An amazing um, cafe. Yeah. And they had a composter or a dehydrator, commercial dehydrator. So that's where we had the idea. And Nectar really wanted us to do it. But it was just too complex and too hard to work out. And we were little kids not really knowing what we were doing. Um, so we didn't get it done. But I'd always wanted to do it. So then at Aranda, once we got sorted... Mm. Um, just became a bit of a no-brainer, and particularly with the gardens there, because yeah. um, you know zucchinis, tomatoes, corn—they just suck so many nutrients out of the soil. Mm. We've got to get that back into the soil. Yeah. So the composter then, because it's fifty grand basically. Mm. So because the composter upgrading your switch or your circuit board, you've got to build a shelter mm. around the composter. Um, yeah. yeah, and then obviously the the sort of people power to go and pick up the produce like the kitchen scraps from all our stores and bring it back in and all the cups and whatnot it all ends up being a bit costly but it's sort of um worth it with the garden sort of thing so yeah into the garden i would say like with coffee spent coffee has high nitrogen levels right and so you've got the yeah. perfect material and then with your cardboard from your cups you've almost got a perfect compost mix going yeah we hope so one of the things we have to do is work out what that mix is mm. and then how much of everything goes in and because at the moment we i mean it'd be 400 kilos of coffee grounds every week wow. that just with our shops um so we just give that away at the moment um and literally have a massive bin of it at Aranda and people just scoop it up and take it home. Mm. So, yeah, trying to work out um, how to get the perfect mix, basically. And then the perfect mix will obviously vary, well, presumably, I ain't no horticulturalist, um, but whether people are using, growing it, using it for veggies or just flowering plants or whatever. So, yeah. so yeah, we'll see. But, yeah, it's good to be able to finally do it. And then the, 
the long story part of it is um, Eust has just done another b- exhibition kind of shop down in Federation Square. Okay. But I can't remember what it was called. But uh, Ingrid, who now looks after the gardens and the urban farm, she went down um, and checked it out. But for me it was a um, uh, like a sort of a realisation of what our role is as as in the 2 before 10 group because mm. Eust is still like that absolute bleeding edge, good public service term, um, of the technology and what cafes can do. And it was stuff like um, harvesting the methane off the compost and using that to power the burners on his stove. Like, just madness. He's still there kind of driving all those initiatives but then as a group we're still I guess what is it nine years behind picking up the composter idea so as a group where I guess the commercialization of those ideas and proving that they can be profitable and then hopefully from us doing that then other people come in behind and pick up some of the things that we're doing so and then it just becomes the norm for everyone hopefully yeah, yeah like electric cars yeah, yeah, yeah. let's get there <laughs> <laughs> Have you got anything else, Julie, before we move to our hero questions? I did just want to ask one question. Yeah, go for it. I always do. Um, about the role of the community. So you mentioned before that when you started Aranda, you were completely broke and kind of relying on the goodwill of a lot of people. And I have read that you've said that to revitalise the site, like you relied heavily on support from the community and you kind of like community gifted you materials, you reused materials from whatever you could find. And you've said that the community are what made the project possible and they are what continue to make it worthwhile. That was a really, it's a really lovely sentiment. Yeah, it's just honest though, isn't it? Like the Canberra community is so supportive um, and it's not just the Aranda community, although they hold a special place. Um, uh, there are so many stories through COVID of um, the community almost forcing their cafes to you know, do takeaway or whatever so that they could keep supporting them and keep them in business. Um, at Bolt Bar, which now called 10 Yards at Aranda, the, um, some of the locals were coming down, you know, three times a week to get takeaway schnitzels and burgers and no one wants to eat that food three times a week. <laughs> Maybe they do. <laughs> but they, they were, like, people just went out of their way and when we first started, we just had our coffee van out the front and, you know, the dodgy furniture and was serving jaffles off buddy Grace Brothers jaffelines or whatever. <laughs> it was dodge. But they came down every day and they knew that if they supported us, we would stay and then they'd have a local shop and then throughout the whole process. So no matter what we do, they, in that initial period, they'll just jump on and support it blindly um, to kind of get that off the ground and the amount of I remember there's a guy and it's pretty funny there's a table of old boys every Friday in the bar and they hot rod would be maybe late 50s I'm not sure I probably shouldn't say this he might be younger Um, (laughs) but he's the youngest and I think he's the only one that's still working maybe and then Kenny's 84 and they've all been around for a bazillion years the mayor's in the middle there he's been in Aranda since 68 and um, there was one Chris because Christmas is the only day we close at Aranda so it's a good day I normally go in and paint toilets or something you can't do 
um, when customers are there. So I'm in there painting the toilets and I had this ruckus out the front. <laughs> What's going on? Poke my head out and there's the mayor on a whippersnipper, just whippersnipper in the grass. That was his Christmas present to us because it looked in the oh. early days around it was very ratty. <laughs> we had other things on our mind. Wow. So, yeah, just random things like that. And they, you know, the... Uh, it's kind of not your. It's not your place. Then, it is, is it? It's not, not yours. Ours. It's everyone's. No, nah, it, we are caretakers yeah. basically. Um, they're the reason that we we're successful, and you know, it's very much their shop. We very much listen to what they tell us to do. <laughs> Which I feel you can kind of extrapolate that to the world like you know we don't own the world like we're caretakers for the world which is really your ethos 100 percent. and business has a role because in a sense we've got the resources to drive things and to get things done but you know in a sense that's one of the good things about capitalism you listen to the people and they kind of give you your direction as long as you're listening that's the main thing a lot of businesses don't so yeah all right well on that note um, we've got our five hero questions that we ask all of our guests. And uh, the first one is congratulations. You've just been elected president of the world. Uh, what is the one thing that you would try to implement first? Um, <laughs> I think I did say a re-election earlier <laughs> to get me out of the job. But no, I reckon uh, electric cars, because they're so simple, they're a consumable product, but I think they're, what, 30% of carbon emissions or something. So it would just be something that's really simple to mandate. And in Australia, well, now I'm talking Australian-centric, Australia's just so far behind on that issue compared to the rest of the world. Mm. So maybe as a president, I just tell Australia to hurry up. Yeah. Yeah. Electric cars. Nice. (laughs) Um, It's 2030, which is really not that far away now. Describe the world, or say you're standing in Canberra even. Like, describe Canberra. What do you see around you? Uh... Not unfortunately, but I don't see it being that different. Uh, In part because, particularly in the ACT, the ACT is doing a pretty good job in my mind. The fact that all our electricity is renewable, like that just just sort of happened. There wasn't any big fanfare. Um, I think electric cars will just start to roll in. Like Australia is going bonkers with solar power. I think all the things that we'll see will be what we see now but they'll just be more ubiquitous not that there are degrees of ubiquitousness but Mm. they'll be more present perhaps so yeah i don't see i i don't see any dramatic change but i just see us being closer to where we need to be Mm. which is awesome because then we're not seeing any negative change you're not thinking i'm not dystopian yeah perfect great great that is great those electric cars will roll in and we won't hear them because they're so quiet (laughs) (laughs) um so who are your environmental heroes chris uh the everyday heroes just the punters um every everyone that's recycling or using biodegradable cling wrap or composting or they've got their own little veggie garden that's yeah anyone that's doing anything is kind of my hero and because I think that's how it changes a hero really doesn't serve any other purpose than to inspire the punters basically Mm. so yeah 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 awesome answer um what's your one hot tip if you had to have one hot tip for being more environmentally friendly or aware, what would it be? Uh, do something, yeah. basically. 
do something, do anything. Um, when you get to that decision point, make the ethical decision. You don't need to, you know, to be perfect. Um, turn a light switch off when you walk out of the room. Like anything, everything adds up. Mm-hmm. That kind of ties into our, our final question, which is your key slogan or mantra or something that you live by, something that you want to leave our listeners with. Um, because it matters, basically, which is our company ethos. So everything you do matters. Like, Don't pretend that it doesn't and take faith in the knowledge that it does matter. So, yeah. That's awesome. Thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure having you here. I think... Um, yeah, everyone should go to a two before ten cafe. Yeah, <laughs> no, you shouldn't. <laughs> Keep going to whatever cafe you're going yeah. to, and make them do some good stuff. That's yeah, that's beautiful. That is awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you, Chris. Thank you both very much.